Welcome to In Clear Terms with AARP California. Conversations on issues impacting Californians of all ages. Here's your host, Theon Gordon. Welcome to In Clear Terms with AARP California. Join us as we dive into issues and policies that impact Californians of all ages, particularly older adults and learn how you can connect with AARP to make our state more livable for all. I am an AARP volunteer and your host, Dr. Theon Gordon. Today, we are joined by Dr. Carla Parasinoto, the board certified in internal medicine, geriatrics, and palliative medicine, and a professor in the Division of Geriatrics, Department of Medicine at the University of California, San Francisco. She also served as the first Associate Chief for Geriatrics Clinical Programs at UCSF from 2017 to 2022. In this role, she oversaw and developed new clinical programs serving older adults across care settings. Dr. Parisinoto has gained national and international recognition for her research on the effects of loneliness on the health of older adults, which is what we're here to talk about today what social isolation and loneliness are, the impacts they have on your health, and how you can help combat them. Welcome, Dr. Parisinoto. Thanks so much for having me, and I will definitely come back and speak to anyone who knows how to say my name so beautifully. So thank you, Dr. (laughs) Gordon. (laughs) I really practiced. Thank you for coming on the show. It is wonderful to have you on In Clear Terms. And as we normally do, we dive right in. I know you've been working on the issues of social isolation and loneliness for some time now. In clear terms, can you define and explain the difference between the two terms? Absolutely. Putting it very simply is loneliness is the subjective feeling about how we feel. Are we feeling lonely and isolated regardless of what's going on around us? Social isolation is really more about the number of relationships and contacts we have with the outside world. Okay, so one involves how we contact people on the outside externally. The other is more internally how we're feeling. That's exactly right. I love it. That's pretty clear. (laughs) (laughs) Both of these loneliness and social isolation are critical issues that are important to AARP. The AARP Foundation, in collaboration with the United Health Foundation, released a study, Loneliness and Social Connections, a national survey of adults 45 and over, and found that one in three U.S. adults aged 45 and older are lonely. The increase in the number of lonely adults 45 and over is significant. Loneliness, especially as it relates to social isolation factors, has real consequences for people's health. Can you speak more to the physical, emotional, and mental impact social isolation and loneliness can have on an individual? I can. And I'll give you a little bit of history about this because this topic of loneliness and isolation or what might be broader called social connection or social disconnection when we have some deficits in loneliness and isolation has been studied for decades, actually. But it's only been in the last decade, I would say, and even in the last two years with this pandemic that we're talking more openly about this. 
And what I mean is that there have been researchers in the social sciences and the behavioral sciences that have for decades said, hey, part of being human is being connected to others. And that is what defines us as humans, the need to connect. And when we don't do that, that has drastic effects on our health. In 2012, I actually published what is now considered a landmark paper in JAMA Internal Medicine at the time called Archives of Internal Medicine that demonstrated in adults over the age of 60, if you reported feeling lonely, again, feeling lonely meaning it's subjective, you had a higher risk of dying over a six-year period and of losing your independence. And losing your independence meaning having more difficulty with activities of daily living, which would be bathing, dressing, and doing things like even climbing stairs and reaching. So that was some of the initial work. Now, what we've known since then is that across the board, whether it's cardiovascular health, and that means how illnesses that affect our heart, whether it's the risk of dementia, how our cognition works, how our brain works, even infection risks. So all of these things are actually affected by loneliness and isolation in different ways. We also know that if you are experiencing loneliness, you have greater risks of worsened depression and anxiety. Some of this is tricky because if you're lonely, you can be more at risk for depression and anxiety. And if you're depressed, you also may be at risk for loneliness and isolation. So sometimes it's hard to know what is causing what. These are related but it's really important to know that these are different things. So if I'm lonely, that does not mean that I'm depressed. I need to be worried about it, but that does not mean that they're the same thing. So it almost is a which came first, the chicken or the egg thing in terms of understanding what are you experiencing and understanding what the root cause is. Studies show that isolation and loneliness are as bad for your health as obesity or smoking. But I would think also they would be very related that loneliness and social isolation could actually cause those things as well. Can you tell me a little more about who's at risk for social isolation in particular? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I think getting back to the relationship with obesity and smoking, I think one of the ways as we try to think about when we see associations in health or in medicine, like loneliness and mortality or loneliness and and heart problems, we try to think, is that a direct, what we would say, causal pathway? Are there other things in, in between? So if I'm feeling lonely, am I more likely to have, quote unquote, bad behaviors or less helpful behaviors? And so that's one of the things to your point that it can be related or associated. In terms of risk factors, we think about in terms of isolation is what would make someone have areas of, for lack of a better term, deprivation. Unfortunately, that means that people who may be low income, people who may be from minority communities, which means that differs from city to city, state to state. What may be, if I am part of a non-majority group in San Francisco, that may be different in another part of the country. So it's kind of Where do you have a sense of belonging? There's other things in isolation. For example, we know that sensory losses, so hearing loss and visual impairments and other disabilities as well. I think about the community that I live in in San Francisco where we have stairs and hills. That means that many of the older adults that I have worked with through my career live in homes where they are literally isolated because they cannot get down the stairs. 
That's a that's a really important point because the survey that I mentioned before identified some of those predictors of loneliness when you have a risk for chronic illnesses. Those who are in the low income community, as you mentioned, maybe less than twenty five thousand a year, unpaid caregivers, and in particular those who self identify as LGBTQ plus. Uh, can you speak a little more to those who are at risk for loneliness and why? And what are some of the indicators that we can tell if we want to find out if we can help somebody who's lonely? What are some of the indicators of loneliness? That's really great. So I'll answer that in two ways. The other parts in terms of risk factors for loneliness is that a way to think about it is losses are predictive. The loss of a spouse, the loss of a friend, the loss of a pet, the change in life position. You may be retired and now thinking about who your new identity is. So all those things, the loss of your country of origin, which means being an immigrant in this country or in another country, those are all, again, risk factors for loneliness. How do you identify this? So I think this is a really key point, Dr. Gordon, because I can't look at you and say, Dr. Gordon, you're lonely and I'm making that assumption about you. I actually have to ask you, And we do have what we would call validated tools, just like in aspects of medicine, we have structured tools where we try to ascertain, does someone have high blood pressure? We have cutoffs. Does someone have depression? We have ways to define that. So I think the reason we do that is to make sure there's no subjectivity and bias on my end in terms of assuming who it is. So that's how we identify it. So that's for the loneliness piece, especially But for the isolation piece, there are also some questions around and and even things that you can do in terms of, I have a neighbor who I know doesn't go out anymore and I don't see many people coming in and out of our home. So this is where there's a clinical view. And then there's also this view as ourselves as people and part of a community is look around your neighborhood and the people around you. And you can see factors. Again, do you live in an area where there's no great transportation where you, again, you live in a neighborhood where maybe there's many immigrants that aren't English speakers. Those are all going to be ways to identify and being careful not to judge and not to bias and make assumptions, but be keeping your eyes open that this is something that is a risk factor for all of us. I will also say that while my focus is in older adults, what we have seen during the pandemic highlighted is that in some ways, loneliness and isolation are agnostic to to many factors. And we were all, frankly, very much at risk during the pandemic. And we know that some of the highest risks are actually in younger adults in the 18 to 24 age range. So this is all around us, really. I definitely want to pinpoint on that. And I love the indicators that you mentioned, because it has to do with being in this livable community that we talk about and recognizing our neighbors and seeing who they are. It's interesting also when we talk about not having the biases, because when my daughter graduated from high school, all the parents talked about was, oh, we're going to be empty nesters. What are we going to do? I had to change my identity to someone else almost. Like I had to rediscover myself and go into a different part of who I am. So seeing those type of things, the losses, the change in life, having a status, leaving a country, immigration and things like that. Those are really, really great ways to at least explore and look at someone and perhaps be empathetic in the search for helping people. Can I add one more thing before? Sorry. Oh, please do. (laughs) 
Just knowing the group of listeners, hopefully, and the strong voice that AARP has for caregiving is that caregiving is also such a huge risk factor. We have people that are either caregivers as a profession or what we would say informal caregivers. Those of us that may be caregiving for a spouse or a mother or father, and there's a loss in the relationship and sometimes a loss in the personhood we sometimes see with dementias. And that is another really big risk factor that I think we often don't think about enough in in medicine and in healthcare. Thank you for bringing that up. We had an episode on caregivers just recently, and very much so, I would say caregivers would be right there, especially the unpaid caregivers. When you're thinking of taking care of a sibling, taking care of a parent, and again, somewhat losing the identity or the relationship that you had prior to them. And that has to be a very lonely place to be if you don't have people to speak with. I'm glad that our episode gave a lot of caregiver resources the last time so that people could have a peer group or other people that they could share with. Now, one of the other things you mentioned was the idea of the pandemic and what happened with all age groups. From your research and experience, how did the pandemic impact social isolation and loneliness across the generations? Yeah, so thanks for that question. And I will tell you that right at the start of the pandemic, and I will disclose that I was pregnant, so I was isolated and lonely in my own space. And I've been pretty open about that. But here I was pregnant and seeing that what was going on around me as a loneliness and isolation researcher and a geriatrician And my colleague, Dr. Ashwin Cotwell, and I actually did a study here in the Bay Area in Northern California looking at how older adults specifically were faring during the pandemic. Now, this was in March, April 2020, and we thought, oh, this will be a couple months. It'll be fine. We'll ask people questions every two weeks. And months were going by, and our participants were like, can you stop asking us these questions? But we did follow people for actually several months. And what we found is actually different trajectories. So Some people had very high rates of loneliness and isolation and had worsening depression and anxiety. And that kind of persisted. There's other people where it kind of peaked and came down and others that didn't experience it anything at all. And so the pathways and what people experienced varied. And I think this gets to this part that actually AARP has done some work in, which is really thinking about resilience, self-identity and not making assumptions of older adults that were all the same, but really that people have different patterns. Now, there was also a phenomenon during the pandemic, which is interesting, is that some older adults who maybe had not been technologically connected found themselves connecting in new ways, which may have contributed to that resilience and ability to cope better. And others who were living in assisted livings or nursing homes really felt that isolation pretty, pretty deeply, In summary, definitely some worsening, not across the board, some areas of resilience. And we did find that some older adults were getting reached out to more. They suddenly became less invisible, but there was also an increased awareness and a more openness to talk about this because I think the media and our public health systems were actually pretty vocal about saying like, hey, we're at risk and we need to take this seriously. I think part of the reason why there was more awareness is because in in February of 2020, the National Academy of Sciences released their national report on social isolation and loneliness. And so this was right as the pandemic was was starting. So it was kind of this opportunity to say, hey, we've known about loneliness and isolation. 
Now we're in a place where we're all forced into isolation. What's going to happen? And let's talk about it. Wow. Well, I'm glad that it was on the radar because of the report being released, because who knew the pandemic was going to last for the amount of time? Like you said, you thought it would be a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months, and it went on and on and on. In any case, it sends a clear signal that we need to direct more attention and resources to this complex and growing public health issue. Loneliness and social isolation are public health issues. What is being done to combat some of the social isolation and loneliness? So thanks for that question. And I think this is a multi-tiered answer is that if you think about from a public health perspective, how do we tackle problems that affect many people across the country or in the state of California. And that's the first one is education and awareness. And I think that's something that's happening across the board. We've seen public service ads about this. We've seen individuals talking about it more openly. We saw the National Academy of Sciences report. So that's that part. There's also what I have been calling the parallel pandemic is that alongside COVID, there has been this real growing awareness about loneliness and isolation and the recognition that because of the health implications, we cannot ignore it. That means, again, what I've seen, which is really neat, is some of our large public health organizations like the CDC actually now have information on their website about what isolation is. You have the California Department on Aging talking about this as well. You have AARP, which has been a massive voice in this space for Mm -hmm. a long time. And so you have both public and private sector really going out and talking about the education and awareness. The next steps are funding research to really look at how can we know more about the health effects, but more importantly, the areas and research that are lacking Or what do we do about it? And it's really exciting to see calls for research by the National Institutes on Aging, another group called PCORI, that are really actively talking about that. So that's on that big picture. Then there's on the direct, what do we do today? Dr. Gordon, what do you do today for your friend, your neighbor, or your patients if you're practicing? And what do I do as a clinician and as a daughter of an aging parent? And that's where there's work to be done. So we have many community-based organizations that have been working in our communities directly with people for decades that know so much about the needs. And some of them have shifted their focus to say, we need to tackle loneliness and isolation. Others are saying, hey, we've been doing this all along. Thank you for finally realizing it. So we have groups like Meals on Wheels America where we know and they have research to show that their drivers connecting with people is actually a big part of what they're doing. It's not just that delivery of a safe meal. It's that connection with the driver. So that is something really cool. I have so many things to talk about. I'm going to stop for a second because there's a lot that we're doing. (laughs) We're going to put it in clear terms in terms of some of these resources. Let's go from federal. Like what's the big picture on loneliness? And then let's go to state, our state of California. And then you just mentioned some of the community organizations, but if there's other resources that might be in the community. Great. So thank you for organizing my thoughts. I appreciate it. So federally, there's a couple things that we're going on. So we don't actually yet have a federal and complete nationwide initiative, which is different than what's seen in, for example, the United Kingdom that has a whole campaign for this. However, we do have our Surgeon General, Vivek Murthy, who has really stated a claim and said, this is an issue that affects people of all ages. And we'll see some recommendations coming out of his office. That's number one. 
We have our national research organizations that are tackling this from a research perspective. We have Congress, different levels of them that have convened committees and where I was an expert testimony to talk about how do we address this nationally. Some of what they're looking at is more in terms of connectivity from a broadband perspective, recognizing that our world is getting interconnected more digitally and how do we support communities that don't have broadband access. And then in the nonprofit sector nationally, there's an organization called CECL, the Coalition to End Social Isolation and Loneliness, which is really trying to gather a national voice to promote and put forward policy agendas nationally and federally. I've probably missed some things, but I think that gives us some voice. Well, that gives us a lot. We have the CECL, Coalition to End Isolation and Loneliness. We have congressional committees. We have national research organizations, the CDC, the Surgeon General. These are all federal or the larger picture looking for things in regards to loneliness. And I love that you mentioned assuring broadband is accessible. We did a a show on the digital divide as well. So making sure these things connect. And I love the connectivity of them and how it makes it clear. Now, on a state level, we're here in California. What can we do in California or what resources might we be able to find? Yeah. So on a state level, I think about our California Department on Aging. And one of the really neat things that happened during the pandemic and hopefully will continue is the Department on Aging supported a service called the Friendship Line, which is a service out of San Francisco, out of a nonprofit But California Department on Aging funded them to provide telephone access to support for older adults who are feeling lonely and or were isolated during the pandemic. So that's an example of a state-based program supporting already existing programs that we know work and have been in effect. There are also, again, public health campaigns and awareness campaigns at the state level. And that's on the government side of things. And then the other statewide things we're seeing is coalitions at the state levels to look at, again, a grouping of like-minded people either working directly with adults or researching on adults. So there's a coalition looking at loneliness and isolation in Southern California. We started one here in Northern California, the Coalition for Older Adults Social Connectedness out of UCSF, again, to try to bring some community and open discussions around this topic. And we have similar ones in Texas and a couple other ones around the country. Oh, that's great. So we have the Department of Aging, the public awareness that's going on in terms of maybe PSAs and things like that, and then the coalitions that are in Northern and Southern California. And let me also add, we have California's Master Plan for Aging at ca.gov. And one of the goals, goal number three in particular, is inclusion and equity, not isolation. And people can learn more about that at MPA, M is in master, P is in plan, A is in aging, dot aging dot CA dot gov. So that's the master plan for aging. And under goal number three, there's something on isolation. And so at a state level, those are things that our listeners can look for. Now, let's go a little locally. What can we do on a community level, just on a local level? I have to say, when you mentioned that friendship line, it reminded me of the old-fashioned telephone tree, just reaching out to somebody and trying to send a message. And I think that's one thing that you will probably say and that I think could be very helpful, just 
reaching out to our neighbors and checking in on them, checking in on each other, I'm sure is one way that we can help with loneliness and isolation. But do you have any other local community ways? There's many, many local community ways. And I think one of the tools to think about, again, more on the community level is your city department of aging and adult services, for example, and each county has one and can be a repository of programs and ideas. However, like you just said, Dr. Gordon, it's picking up the phone and talking in your community. If you have that to say, you know, what do you know of any programs? However, I think there's a really important point to talk about here is that loneliness again Just as I mentioned at the beginning, this is subjective and I can't predict. I have some ideas about what may drive that, but I don't know specifically for you. So this takes an individual doing some, a little bit of internal work, if they're able to, to say, what is driving my loneliness? And for some people, it may not be connecting with the city resources and going to a senior center. For some people, to your point, it is actually about that neighbor coming and checking. Actually, one of my colleagues, Julianne Holt-Lundstadt, who's one of the premier researchers in voice in the space, did a study with Nextdoor, that app that really connects people. And there's actually effects on our feelings of connection. So there's kind of this grassroots and simple stuff we can do, which is picking up the phone and calling. For me, it's calling my uncle who lives in Mexico that I know is pretty lonely It's calling my mom who's in Santa Barbara and connecting her with her granddaughter. And then there's the, how do we build the evidence base for more structured programs like the Friendship Line? There's some other programs which are considered the Senior Center Without Walls programs. There's work being done in the private sector as well. It's again, it's that individual level. Let me figure out what's driving my loneliness. For your friend, it may be grief and connecting with a therapist and a counselor. For others, it's really an opportunity for more social connections. And for others, it may be fixing their stairs so they can get down safely. Yes, yes. Well, those are great pointers. And again, a lot of it, we have to do ourselves. We have to figure those things out. I also like that you mentioned Nextdoor. I was on that app for a while and I so enjoyed reading the different comments. And even when community members are like, no, we should get rid of the coyotes. No, don't get rid of the coyotes. It's, it's always a community. It brought community connection, even when you're on different sides. So that is another resource is looking at things, apps like Nextdoor, picking up the phone, speaking with people, and that City Department of Aging is another good resource. Well, thank you for those. You know, the holiday season is coming up. And with the holidays and cold weather coming soon, cold relative to California, (laughs) with the holidays and the cold weather season coming up, is there anything that our listeners should be aware of when it comes to social isolation and loneliness or any advice you can offer for us to support our loved ones and community members? Yeah, I think my biggest point of advice is like, let's be open about these conversations and let's bring some vulnerability. I think when I first started working on this topic, it was very taboo. No one wanted to talk about it. And now there's a little bit more openness. And I think when I've been more likely to share, hey, you know, I've been feeling lonely, that allows other people to open up. It's also important, again, as I start at the beginning, to not go to your neighbor and be like, hey, Dr. Gordon, you look lonely. That's not exactly a welcoming conversation, but there is this need to create openness and space to talk about this and see how you can support someone. So I'm hesitant to give very specific, do this and do that. But I think the broader mission is empathy and compassion and vulnerability 
to just keep space to have this open conversation. Because I think through that conversation, the solutions come forth. Yeah, empathy, compassion, and vulnerability. I think that goes a long way with pretty much anything. If we all could have space for that in the world and having grace for people. There's just something about opening up that space and having grace for people to come in in whichever way they come. One of the other things that I've found helps when I feel lonely, if I'm just out someplace and I see somebody smile, they just smile at me Mm -hmm. and say hello. So just a simple hello, a smile. Fortunately, I've been able to start reconnecting. And as Mm -hmm. I've been reconnecting, a lot of people are like, are you a hugger? And so we're Mm -hmm. so many people Mm -hmm. want to hug now and have that connection. And so those are all things I think that could help with the isolation and loneliness, even if we're not judging, even when we're not judging and saying, oh, this person looks lonely. I'm going to give them a hug, a simple hello, a handshake, a fist pump or whatever it is can certainly, certainly help. The saying hello, I just sorry, the saying hello, I'm I'm like, I get too excited. No, I love that. I love it. The saying hello is so critical. When I moved to my neighborhood after being in an apartment building where no one said hello, my neighborhood, you walk down the street and people say hello. And I've noticed how many people are invisible and feel invisible because I'm a person that does say hello to people. And I've seen people just, oh my goodness, I'm not invisible anymore. And she acknowledged me. Yeah. And just that's so powerful. So thank you for that message. Thank you so much for confirming that I'm not crazy. (laughs) I do the same thing. I'll walk down the street and I say hello and smile to people. And sometimes it's almost like they're afraid of me, like I did something wrong. I actually had someone ask me once, why are you smiling? And I said, why not? I don't know. I just smile. If I didn't smile, you might think I was angry with you. But thank you for bringing up these topics. I think it's so relevant, especially, again, we're around the holiday season Hey, listeners, invite friends over for dinner and invite them to join you. Not necessarily because they're lonely, but because you have room at the table. Just invite people over. I'm going to visit some people for the holidays, and I'm so excited about it because I know they're going to have great food, but I also know it's great people to be around. And I might also add, in Southern California, we have museums that offer free concerts on Fridays and Saturdays. So look up local museums. That's a great way to get out and maybe be around people, but still be in an open space. The concerts I'm talking about are outdoor. And I know many people are still dealing with the aftermath of COVID and so may not want to be in crowded areas. So those outdoor spaces that offer concerts and you still get to be in community, but space yourself out a little bit. So those are some other suggestions that I might offer. Dr. Perisonotto, thank you so much for joining us for episode 12 of In Clear Terms with AARP California. Do you have any last comments or items you would like to touch on before we wrap up? I think the final point is just a clear reminder in clear terms that our social connections are critical to our health. And just as we try to maintain our physical and our mental health, our social part of our lives is actually really critical to our well-being and how we want to live in terms of our quality of life and our longevity. So do not underestimate the power of social connection. Thank you so much for that. Thank you again. We have had the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Carla Parisinotto on the important topic of social isolation and loneliness. 
In future episodes, we look forward to hosting experts and elected officials whom can shed light on critical issues in our state, how AARP California is working to ensure the voice of those 50 plus is heard, and how you, our listeners, can learn more and act on these important decisions. Thank you for listening to In Clear Terms with AARP. Thank you.